this Lord's Day, we will be looking at a text that I will venture to say it's overlooked by many Christians. You only find this account in one book, the Gospel of Luke. Even then, Luke only devotes about five verses to this particular account. Ironically, this text comes right after a very well-known account that gets quoted many times by Christians, the Good Samaritan. Why I wanted to focus on this particular passage today is because there is something that Jesus points out that I believe gets too often ignored by many Christians today. What I'm talking about is our priority and our focus as a Christian. Are we focused on what is truly necessary or are we being distracted away from what's most important in our lives? Now, I've entitled this sermon, Choosing the Good Part, because that's what I want you to think about as we look at this text today. Are you choosing the good part? So let's now go to the Lord our God in prayer. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful that we have come today to now hear your word. Lord, I ask that you may, through me, edify the saints that are here. And Lord, I pray that you may convict us through the word. Open our eyes, Lord, to see what your word teaches. Open our ears to hear the word preached. Open our hearts to receive and accept that which is true and right according to your word. Lord, we thank you for this moment and this time that we, got to, that we get to spend now in your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Turn to your Bibles, to Luke chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 38 through 42. Again, that's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So we have in this account Jesus coming to the home of Martha and Mary when he arrives in Bethany. By all accounts, Martha and Mary are both believers and as such would have considered it a great honor to have Jesus Christ and his disciples at their home. Who wouldn't? Who was a believer? Now, Martha, for whom it appears, was the owner of the house and quite probably a widow, wants to take care of her guests. So she goes about doing what every good wife wants to do when there's guests over. Be a good hostess. She serves. She's preparing food. She's making sure everything is good and in order. Mary, on the other hand, well, 
She's being a terrible hostess. She's not helping Martha at all with the serving. All she's doing is just sitting down and listening to Jesus talk like she's one of the guys. What a woman. Doesn't she realize that her place is in the kitchen? Martha gets frustrated with Mary. Now, Martha's probably thinking, all these people are here, and all Mary is doing is sitting around and doing nothing while I am doing all this work. I mean, what kind of Jesus follower is she? You know, I hope if she's sitting there that Jesus tells that story again of the Good Samaritan because she's not being that neighborly right now. Finally, Martha gets so frustrated that she goes to Jesus and appeals to Jesus. However, what Jesus tells Martha is certainly not what Martha was expecting to hear. See, I'm sure that Martha was convinced that Mary was in the wrong for not serving with her and that Jesus was going to back her up in this. However, Jesus tells Martha, no, Mary is in the right here. Martha, you are distracted by so many things. Mary is focused on the one thing which just so happens to be the one thing that is most important for her right now, which is being with me and hearing my word. In the Christian life, there are many things that are good and profitable for us to be doing. But there is one thing above all else that is central and cannot be neglected. And that's listening and communing with Christ. This is the good part that Mary recognized, and Martha did not. Both Martha and Mary had a unique opportunity to hear Jesus speak to them. And Mary chose to do that very thing while he was in their home. Martha chose to serve the guests, which wasn't bad, but it wasn't necessary. It wasn't the most necessary thing to be doing in that moment. Martha wanted to give the guests physical food to eat, which is appreciated. But see, Christ was in the middle of serving them spiritual food, which is what she needed. There is nothing more important for a Christian than to sit and be fed the living word of Jesus Christ and also to commune with him. Now, we may not have Jesus Christ physically with us now as they did, but we have all that we need to commune with him regularly in the word, in prayer, and in the sacraments. Now, there are two important qualifiers that I want to make note of before we dive into this passage and the significance of it so that we don't misunderstand the point in all of this. The first qualifier that I want to make is that this passage is not making the claim that serving others is bad. I want to make sure I'm clear here because it is important for us as Christians to be good servants. Paul writes, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So see, Paul here 
is telling the Christians in Galatia to serve one another. Peter, another apostle, says the same thing in 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So again, in another passage, Peter is exhorting them to be hospitable, to serve one another in love. And then we have the very words of Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 46, when he tells us this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing, something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then, they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we see here, Jesus saying, as you do it to the least of the brothers, so you did it to him. So again, he is not saying that serving others is bad. Being that we are all part of one mystical body, it is incumbent on us to serve and care for one another. We in the church body, need a Martha to serve and care for certain matters. In Acts chapter 6, when the apostles had to deal with widows who were being overlooked to, when food was being served, do you know who they appointed to accomplish this task? A bunch of Marthas. They chose deacons, men who were tasked with serving. So let's not get the idea from this passage that somehow Jesus is negating everything the Bible affirms as it pertains to acts of charity and service. The second qualifier 
that I want to make is that this passage is not trying to promote a sort of monastic life where you separate yourself from civilization in order to study God's word. Now, during, if you know your church history, during the early Middle Ages, you had some Christians who thought that the best life was one where you escape from civilization into quiet solitude and focus solely on meditation and reading the Bible. This brought about a form of asceticism within the church where many people left from their homes, from their towns, from civilizations into solitude. This is where you had people becoming hermits. And it eventually led to what you see now in the Catholic churches with monks and nuns, where they sold all their goods, vowed a life of poverty, a life of solitude. Now, I can certainly imagine and see some people reading the text that we're going to get into and getting the idea in their head that since Mary was praised for sitting and listening to Jesus speak, that therefore all that was required of them was just to sit and read God's word. Forget work. Forget doing other ministries. Forget my family. Just them and their Bible. Now, this is definitely not what Jesus was saying. We were not adopted into the family of God to now be an island unto ourselves. We were meant to be in covenant community and as such enjoy all the blessings of being part of the covenant community. Solomon writes in Proverbs 18 verse 1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see the exhortations in the scriptures to not be separate, to not be isolated but to be part of the covenant community, to be part of the body. We are all part of one body. And being a Christian does mean being an active member in that body. You also have Proverbs 24, verses 11 through 12. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? Does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? See, you can't hold someone back from the slaughter if you're isolated, if you're away from them. You cannot deliver those away from death if you are to yourself, not part of a covenant community, not engaged with one another. So Jesus is not in this passage trying to get the idea that we ought to be isolated from everyone. So being that that was not the case with Jesus, what was Jesus' point? See, although there are many callings, many ministries, and many noble things that we do for the kingdom of God, 
There is one thing that is of top priority and can never be neglected. That is seeking and placing Christ and his wisdom as our ultimate prize and treasure. That is done through those means of grace in the word, prayer, and sacraments. When that is our ultimate priority, we will never be misled or go astray. When that is what our focus is on, we will not give in to temptation. When we set that as first in our lives, we will properly accomplish every duty given to us. Psalm 1 tells us how blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields forth its fruit in his season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatsoever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. From the very first psalm, King David tells us that the man who was blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God day and night. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon spends the first nine chapters, if you've ever read Proverbs, he spends the first nine chapters of Proverbs imploring his sons to seek after wisdom and to treasure that above all things. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we have King Solomon writing this to his sons. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk. In integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good work. Only after you search for wisdom, you seek after wisdom, will you be able to discern what's right? Will you be able to discern justice, equity, every good work? He goes on to say in Proverbs 3. Verses 13 through 18. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who hold her fast. And then finally in Proverbs 8, verse 32, he continues. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Before Jesus Christ was crucified, 
he prays in that famous high priestly prayer that his disciples be sanctified in the truth. What does he call his truth? His word. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Before Jesus ascends, he gives his disciples the great commission. And he tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The apostles were to not only baptize, but also to teach the new converts what Christ taught them. In other words, they were to teach Christ's words. Now, along with meditation of the word. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, to pray without ceasing. That is, to continually be in prayer. Prayer is a necessary and important means of grace which we cannot ignore. This is how we personally commune with them. Paul writes in Colossians 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You know, oftentimes before Jesus would do many big works, he would devote himself to prayer. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, before he chooses the 12 disciples, he goes and spends the entire night in prayer to God. Before he accomplishes his role as a priest in offering up himself as a sacrifice to be crucified, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and devotes time to prayer. So prayer, along with the word, is a necessary an important component to communing with God that cannot be ignored, that cannot be overstated. We also have the sacraments as a necessary component for communing with God. Along with Jesus, as we read early in the Great Commission, commanding the apostles to baptize people, we also have him a few chapters before instituting the Lord's Supper with his disciples and commanding that it be done in remembrance of him. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, as he's correcting the church in Corinth for their excess with the Lord's Supper, reminds them, and by extension to us, that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We see in the book of Acts, the early Christians devoting themselves to all three means of grace regularly. Luke writes in Acts chapter 2, verses 42, that those disciples were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, it's the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It's all three means of grace right there that they were continually devoting themselves to. And you know what happened? more and more people were coming to Christ. All three means of grace are vital to the Christian life and must take priority over everything else that a Christian does. This does not mean that a Christian ignores other duties, 
but it does mean that those other duties do not supersede that which takes priority. This is where I see so many Christians go astray. You know, the problem with so many of us Christians is that we major in the minor things, but we minor in the major things. You know, we set forth with passion and zeal for God to do something good, but we neglect what's necessary. That's what was going on with Martha. Her passion was for being a good servant, but that caused her to neglect what was more important. At the end of the day, all the good deeds that you can conjure up means nothing if you are not right with God. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? In your name, and in your name, cast out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will declare to you, to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So make no mistake about it. These were people who were doing great works. They were casting out demons. They were performing many great miracles in Jesus' name. But yet Jesus says he never knew them. Why? Why? Because they weren't doing the will of the Father. They weren't devoting themselves to those necessary means of grace. They were not focusing on the good part. Matthew Henry writes this. Serious godliness is a needful thing. It is the one thing needful. For nothing without this will do us any real good in this world. And nothing but this will go with us into another world. See, we run into grave danger with our souls when we neglect the necessary for something that isn't. And you know, let's face it. So many things that people do aren't what's necessary. They may be noble. They may be good things. But they aren't what's ultimate. You have Christians focusing so much of their time doing good and noble causes while neglecting to care for, them so, for their souls. Hey, we got to do something about, you name the problem, you name the injustice. We have to protest this injustice over here. Nothing bad. But oftentimes, many of those same people don't spend near enough time soaking up God's word, communicating with him in prayer and attending church to attend and partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, as I've mentioned earlier, this is not to say that we ignore these areas, but we must put it in its proper place or else we forfeit our own soul. And you end up being, like Jesus says, Lord, did we not protest this? Did we not speak out against this injustice? And Jesus tell you to your face, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of evil. So now what happens when, as a Christian, you are not focused on the good part? Well, one, you get distracted and you neglect the ultimate goal of sanctification. Let's go back to our sermon text. 
Because in our sermon text, in Luke chapter 2, we see Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to Christ. Whereas Martha wasn't. She was distracted with her much serving, all her preparations. Martha was so focused on serving the guest that it was distracting her from listening to Jesus teach. How often do we as Christians get distracted from communing with God because we're doing other things? Lord, you know, I really want to spend this time reading my Bible, but, you know, I have my new neighbors over here. I really want to go and talk to them and prepare some food from them. Lord, you know, a good friend of mine told me that there's going to be this protest that's going on. And, you know, I know I said I was going to spend this time reading your word, but I got to do this here. This is important. Lord, I know that I need to be praying to you more often, but, you know, I got to make sure that the house is kept clean. We fill up our day with so many activities, some good, some not so good, that we don't give ourselves the opportunity to focus on God. Work gets completed, but our soul is left depleted. Because we don't give ourselves ample time to commune with God, we never end up growing up as believers. We become open targets for Satan to tempt us and to deceive us. Every wind of doctrine that comes about moves us back and forth. We fall for every zeitgeist, every spirit of the age that comes about because our minds aren't focused on Christ. Solomon writes in Proverbs 17, verse 24, the discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. You know what that verse is getting at? What, what's meant by this proverb is that those who are looking to wisdom, or in other words, Christ, because Paul tells us that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, those who are focused, are looking to wisdom, are focused and will not be all over the place in their thinking or their actions. The fool, however, because their focus is not set towards wisdom, is not set towards Christ, has his thoughts scattered. He is all over the place in his thinking and his actions. One day he is thinking, you know what, I think I need to do this over here. The next day he's thinking, oh, actually, I think I need to be doing this over here. One day, he's falling for this trend. The next day, he or she is falling for that trend over there. There is no fixed set, no fixed wisdom that their eyes are towards. Therefore, their eyes are on the ends of the earth, moving to and back, scattered. There has to be a fixed purpose, a fixed object that all of our actions are directed towards. And you know what that is? Jesus Christ. If it is not set towards that, we do things aimlessly and, quite frankly, needlessly because it will profit us nothing. John Calvin writes, whatever believers may undertake to do and in whatever employments they may engage, there is one object to which everything ought to be referred. In a word, we do but wander to no purpose if we do not direct all our actions to a fixed object. And, you know, that lack of proper focus keeps us from fulfilling God's will for us, which is our sanctification. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, 
your sanctification. That seems pretty clear. We are called to grow in sanctification to each and every day, put to death the deeds of our flesh and put on Jesus Christ. Well, how can a young man or young woman, for that matter, keep their way pure? Well, Psalm 119 verse 9 tells us by guarding it according to God's word. David doesn't say by increasing busy work, by doing more acts of service. It's by studying and meditating on the word of God. Again, Psalm 1, that's the person that's planted firmly, that will not be moved. That word that the author of Hebrews tells us is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That word which Paul tells us in Ephesians is our only offensive weapon against the schemes and lies of Satan. That word, doing more activity, will never trump listening more to God's word. One of the things that comes to my mind is how people will oftentimes fill up their time with busy work to avoid the hard work of growing in sanctification. You know, if a person is struggling with a sin, the easy thing to do would be to keep the person so busy that they have no opportunity to sin. Wow, that may keep them from sinning because they're so busy. The problem is they're not actually dealing with the sin at all. So you know what will happen? Satan, in the moment where they have free time because they weren't preparing their souls for action, in the moment where there is free time, Satan will come and tempt them. And because they weren't prepared, because they weren't using their time to grow in sanctification, they become open targets for Satan and they fall into sin. If a person spends time studying God's word and contemplating how to deal with their sin struggles, free time won't turn into Satan's playground. Now, we have an example in the Bible for how those who are called to serve are to be in the office of deacons. We see in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, Luke saying, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. So we see here in this passage, those who were called to serve were those who were what? Full of the spirit, full of wisdom, i.e. Christ's words. Those were the ones who were tasked to serve. And then we have in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 10, Paul writing this. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So again, these aren't ignorant people who serve as deacons. These are people who are able to hold the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, these are men who have a firm understanding of the word of God. 
So even in this official office of deacon, a person who is called to that office must be a person who is committed first to communing with Christ. But GP, people are suffering. Injustices are being committed. Babies are being murdered. If I shorten my time in those areas to focus on my spiritual growth, I'm neglecting those evils. How in the world can that be good? I love what Charles Spurgeon says here in a sermon that he gave regarding this. He writes this. You are not losing time while you are feeding your soul. While by contemplation, you are getting purpose strengthened and motive purified. You are rightly using time. When the man becomes intense, when he gets within him principles, vital, fervent, energetic, then when the season for work comes, he will work with the power and a result which empty people can never attain, however busy they may be. You don't waste your time when you're spending that time in the word of God. If God is truly calling you to a ministry, then spending your time communing with him first is not going to be time wasted. In fact, that time that you spend with him, as Spurgeon noted, will equip you to do works mightier and better than you could have done if you didn't commune with him. Let's take a look at Mary in our sermon text. Now, it is true that she did not assist Martha with serving the guests in her home because she was focused on communing with Christ. Yet, when the time came for Mary to serve, she does something that Christ commends her for. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. And I'll read the first eight verses of this chapter. Again, this is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was raised, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. So we see in this passage, Mary clearly understanding that something significant is about to happen with Jesus. She could not have understood or known that had she had not already taken time to contemplate those things, those words that Jesus was speaking to her. She could not have realized that had she had not taken the time first to meditate upon all the things that Jesus first told her. And as a result of her contemplation, her devotion first to that, she does something that Jesus commends her for. Again, Spurgeon says, those who think not, who meditate not, who commune not with Christ will do common thing, place things very well. But they will never rise to the majesty of a spiritual conception or carry out a heart-suggested work for Christ. 
Yeah, if you don't spend your time in the word, you can do what normal people do very well, but you will never do what God calls for us to do rightly. See, acts of service, that's the fruit of a life spent in the word of God. The Lord's teaching is the root which produces the fruit of service. If the focus becomes exclusively on the fruit without no time spent in the root, you lose both the root and the fruit. Is God calling you to be a preacher? Let God preach to you first through his word. Is God calling you to serve? First, serve your own soul in communing with God. Is God calling you to defend the faith? Defend your own soul first from the lies of Satan. Is God calling you to save babies from being murdered? Make sure your own soul is saved from the flames of hell first. Is God calling you to pursue criminal justice reform? Pursue the reformation of your life first through the transforming word of God to understand what true justice is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now something else that tends to happen when a person's focus isn't first on communing with Christ before doing acts of service is that their attitude towards their works and other people become problematic. Going back to our sermon text, Martha, she goes up in frustration to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not even care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. Jesus, what's the deal? Don't you even care? Not only is she frustrated with Mary for not helping, but even with Jesus for not saying anything. Do you see how twisted that is? Her preoccupation with her serving made her overlook the fact that what she was doing was not near as important as what Mary was doing. However, because she was distracted by her serving and more focused on that than listening to Christ's speech, speak, she put more weight on the importance of her work than the importance of Mary's work. As a result, she became angry with Mary for not doing what she viewed as utmost importance. Martha thought too highly of her work as though it was more important than what Mary was doing. As a result, her work, her service became her snare. Charles Spurgeon, and I realize I've been quoting him a couple of times. This sermon is just really, really good. So not too many times I'll be quoting him. But again, Spurgeon notes this. We spoil our service when we overestimate its importance. For this leads us into loftiness and pride. See, we become very prideful, very arrogant when we act as though our external works are so grand as to be praised over the internal work of meditation on the Bible and communing with Christ. Those who are focused on, as Matthew Henry calls it, worldly cares and pursuits will often chastise those who are focused on religion. See, in their minds, those who are focused on religion, man, you're just missing the big picture. When in reality, it is them who's missing the big picture. It is interesting to see how often you see that today. See, if a Christian is not as engaged and what other Christians expect for them to be engaged in, 
they will be chastised for it. Those Christians who are engaged in service will, like Martha, appeal to God to judge those who are not, assuming that they are sinning by focusing on Christ and his word. In misplaced Christian zeal for good causes, we sometimes can criticize those unnecessarily who aren't as active as we would like for them to be. And we have to be careful not to wrongfully charge a Christian for sinning because they aren't as engaged in certain works as we are. Unless God point out to us, like he did to Martha, that we're the ones who are being distracted from a more necessary work. See, Martha thought that she was in the right and Mary was in the wrong. And in her short-sightedness, goes to Jesus to tell her to check Mary. However, Jesus checks Martha. Jesus tells Martha, no, Mary isn't doing anything wrong. You're the one that's distracted. You're the one that's bothered by all your serving. But you're missing what's truly important. This is my last quote from Spurgeon. But he states this. We cease to do work as to the Lord. We labor too much for service's sake. The main thing in our minds is the service and not the master. We are cumbered and he is forgotten. In doing the work, we forget the central object of our devotion. It's not the work. It's Jesus Christ. The service becomes the object of our devotion, the idol. And as a result, our attitudes and actions towards others as a result of our misplaced devotion reflects that. Going back to our sermon text. See, you know, it would be one thing if Martha was upset with Mary because, you know, Mary was just sitting down and doing nothing while Martha was serving. It would be one thing if Mary had told Martha, you know what, you know, Jesus is coming and, you know, he brought a lot of his cute disciple friends with him, so... I think I'm just going to sit down with the disciples and, you know, just, you know, make myself available to them. That's not what happened. Mary wasn't doing that. Mary was listening to the word of God. Yet Martha, because her focus was misplaced, did not view Mary's action in the right light. Her focus on service caused her to overlook the fact that Mary was doing something vitally important. Likewise today, how often do the actions of Christians get misread by others whose focus, like Martha's, is misplaced? A focus on doctrine and theology gets misinterpreted by some people as a neglect for living the Christian life. A focus on the word of God gets misinterpreted as a hatred for acts of charity. You even have some so-called Christians, who would go so far as to call others not Christians because they put more emphasis on theology over and against other noble acts. Now, as I've stated and I've tried to make clear, this is not to say that as Christians we shouldn't be engaging with the culture and doing acts of service and charity. That's very important. However, Communing with Christ must always be our number one priority or our attitude will start to reflect the fact that we have replaced God with just another idol. So as I close up my sermon, I want to ask you this question. Who are you more like? Are you more like Martha 
where your devotion to noble acts of services causes you to get anxious and distracted from your devotion to God? Do you feel as though time spent not doing works that you think are important in order to commit to God is wasted time? Do you think that you are somehow not being a true Christian by saying no to doing certain things because you are committing that time to communing with God? Or are you more like Mary, where you know when to set aside other things so that you can focus on God? You know that you will have plenty of opportunity by the grace of God to do great and glorious things for his kingdom. But first, you need to make sure that your soul is nourished. Who are you more like? Think about that. Brothers, sisters, doing great things for God and his kingdom starts first by sitting at the feet of Jesus and communing with him, listening to him. That is our number one priority. Before anything else, doing great things for God starts first by devoting your time to prayer, devoting your time to the word, and growing in God's wisdom. Doing great things for God starts first by focusing on your relationship with Jesus Christ first. It starts first by, like Mary, focusing and choosing the good part. Let us now go to the Lord our God in prayer.